Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning, everyone. So good to be here with you this morning and be able to share from God's Word. My name is Josh. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Portico. And to all of you here uh, or watching online or listening to our podcast, thanks for joining us today. We are in a series called Uncommon Sense. And in this series, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs and looking at the wisdom that God provides to all people from all facets of life. And we've been looking at different demographics, particularly in the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at what wisdom there is to be said to children. We've been looking at wisdom uh, that God has for men. And now I have the wonderful privilege as a man be able to preach about wisdom for women. Hmm. <laughs> all the men said, yeah, all the women went, mm-hmm. Well, I've been thinking, this is obviously not me preaching, so thank God for that. This is the Word of God preaching. But I've also been thinking, you know, what can I do to prepare myself to get ready to be able to preach this sermon? And I realized that this moment in time was ordained by God because as I look over my life and things that have transpired, true stories, I realize God was preparing me so that I could be in the right frame of mind, be able to write, be able to really connect with the women who are listening and for all of us, uh, but especially our women today. So let me share a few stories, very true stories that happened to me uh, over, over my lifetime so far. When I was a little kid in an elementary school, uh, there was a weird thing that would happen. I would wake up in the morning, and I would sneeze seven times. Just, it was very strange, very random. I would sneeze seven times, didn't have a cold, wasn't allergies. I would just sneeze. And this happened for weeks and months. And at one point, my sister, who was in high school, told me, Josh, you have morning sickness. (laughs) And I was like, that's true. I get sick, and it's in the morning. And you know, it's one of those things where you're not going around sharing it necessarily, but you know, from time to time, as you're having conversations with your friends, you're talking about weird things, and I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I have morning sickness. (laughs) Not realizing until years later what that really was. In high school, uh, my mom... Uh, had gone, uh, she was in a a health craze, so to speak, where she was looking at natural remedies to be able to cure lots of different things. And uh, I have eczema, so I have dry skin. And she had found in this book that there is a a pill made from a particular type of oil that you can take. And, you know, it makes sense, logically, an oil pill that helps hydrate your skin. So I was taking this pill for years. And at one point, you know, went to the doctors for a regular physical. And as we're going through, you know, uh, how my health is, I share, yeah, I'm taking this pill called primrose oil. And he starts laughing. And I'm thinking, what? What's wrong? And he says, primrose oil is what women take when they're going through the symptoms of menopause. (laughs) Thank you, mom. (laughs) All right, but on a serious note... As we dive into this sermon about women, 
Let me say what we've been saying the last couple of months. Yes, we are uh, sharing a sermon today from the team of communicators that talks specifically to women. But as we learn from our sermon about children and our sermon about men, that these are principles that apply to all of us. So I don't want anyone tuning out or anything like that, but we really wanted to hone in on what God was saying through his word uh, to the women of our community. So to frame today's sermon, I wanted to take a look back at our theme itself for the sermon series. It's called Uncommon Sense. And all too often, it seems that what the world says and what the Bible teaches don't see eye to eye. And if the wisdom of this world seems like that is common sense, then what the Bible has to say to some or to even to many would seem like that is uncommon or it is contrary to what should be the norm, which is what the world is saying to us. But what we've been discovering week after week through this sermon series is that it has been changing our perspective uh, to a biblical one and one that actually simplifies the way that we look at God and how he has created us and how he wants us to live in this world around us. So rather than the world making sense, we realize the way that God has intended for us to live, that makes a lot more sense and actually simplifies a lot of things. So what does the world say about women? I think cultures around the world have a lot to say, and and that will differ from culture to culture. There are some cultures that would absolutely unabashedly say that women are inferior to men and that their role in that society reflects that perspective. In North America, we would like to think that the situation is not as bleak, uh, but the unsettling truth is that we continue, even to this day, to to see the struggle uh, for women to be respected and to be treated fairly. And even in our Western culture, where we like to think we don't treat women as badly as others, there are underlying values that still pervade our culture. Now, these societal values would have us believe, among other things, that women are not as strong as men, that women should not be in positions of authority or influence, and that really women, all they care about is their outward beauty. Now, if that's what society has taught us, how, should we, how we should view women, then what about God's view? Because the world is saying one thing, But I think it's far more important we realize that God has something to say about this. And if we're going to have a conversation about how we should view women, then I think it only makes sense that we look to the creator of women, the one who designed women to say that this is what women are about, this is who they are, this is who I've created them to be. And so since our sermon series is based out of the book of Proverbs, let's turn there to Proverbs chapter 31. And we're going to be looking from the verses starting in verse 10. You can follow along in your notes on the app or in your bulletin. Uh, If you're watching online and even here in the room or on the podcast, pull out your Bibles as well and follow along and make your notes as well. Let me read this passage for you. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings good to him, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works uh, with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. 
In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindles in her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes a seat among the elders with the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. What a powerful word. See, what we've just read is God's view of women. God's view of women, not the world's view, which stands in stark contrast with what the world would have us believe uh, women are all about. And where the world would have us believe that women are weak, for example, the first thing I see this passage telling us is that real women reveal their strength through godly character. Real women reveal their strength through godly character. In a world that has been shaped by the leadership of men, it shouldn't come as a surprise that the way we view one another is shaped by certain prejudices and assumptions. Men like to measure strength in a very physical way, based on muscle mass and positions of power and authority. But what this passage in Proverbs shows us is that one's strength isn't narrowly defined by a typical show of strength. Verse 29 says, many uh, women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Women do noble things. It's a call to action. Women are, are involved. They're engaged in what life is all about. It's made abundantly clear that women are capable of taking action and being responsible. And in fact, what they do is of such importance that it is noble. They do noble things. So what is it that women do? All cultures are different, but I feel like this passage shows us uh, examples that transcend culture. So for example, in verse 10, it talks about how women are noble. And in verse 11, that women are trustworthy. Verses 12 and 23, how they bless others. Uh, Verses 13 and 17 and 19 talks about their work ethic. Uh, We see how they are resourceful and responsible. They're even property owners. They're financially wise. They are charitable. They are prepared. They speak wisdom. And they are honored. All of these characteristics reveal God-given character and God-given talent. Each one of us has been designed by God with purpose. And we are designed for a purpose. And we bring glory to God when we fulfill that purpose by doing what God designed us to do. And so if this passage alone speaks to the way that God views women, to how much more that we, his community, his children, should encourage and support our women to be, to be empowered and to be equipped to be able to do those very things. But somewhere along the line, we minimized the role that women play in society, in the family, in the workplace, and we made them appear weak. Maybe it's because men and women, we do, differently, do things differently. 
And because we don't see eye to eye on how things should be done, we jump to conclusions that women just aren't as able to do it as men can. And just because we do things differently, though, doesn't mean that women aren't capable just as a man is. So for example, my wife and I, Ruby, we learned very early on in our marriage that there are two things that we really don't do well together, cooking and driving. We, we both love to cook, but it's important that when one person is the chef, the other must submit, okay? <laughs> there cannot be two chefs. There cannot be two executive chefs in that kitchen. Similarly, when one of us is driving, there is not a second steering wheel. And I will admit, I am the one that struggles with that a lot more because I have got the comments. Because when I am seeing the road, she's not driving the way I do. She's not speeding up when she should. She's not changing lanes when she should. So it's natural for me as a man to want to comment on it. But that's not fair to her because she is capable. Obviously, she knows she needs to be safe. Obviously, she knows that I am in the car with her. Although if she lets the car hit me on the other side, I don't know, maybe she's got... No, I'm not saying. But our kids are in the back. Obviously, she is driving in a way that is safe for everyone inside. So why can't I trust her, even though she approaches it in a different way? James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life and uh, by good deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. What are these good deeds that James is talking about here? The Bible makes it clear that women are to be active and engaged in society. And not only that, their roles show their capacity for strength and power. Because think about this, the same God who made man made woman. And every one of us is designed with a God-given purpose. Just look at the Bible and you will see very quickly how it is filled with story after story of woman after woman who was put in positions of leadership, of authority, and this was God-ordained. This is the way that God had designed it. <clears throat> there was Deborah, who was a judge of Israel, and she was tasked with leadership and decision-making. There was Esther, who was a queen and displayed courage and wisdom. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was righteous, obedient, and faithful. There was Priscilla, who was in the first century church, who was industrious and an entrepreneur. All of these and many others, they're not just matriarchs, but they are influencers. The Bible mentions throughout Scripture women who worked in commercial trade, in agriculture. They were millers uh, as shepherds. They were perfumers and cooks. They worked as midwives and nurses. They were domestic servants. Uh, they were women who could also be patrons. One woman even built towns, the Old Testament says. She was basically the contractor, the person in charge of building entire cities. Many women and men worked from home Yet the Bible nowhere criticizes women who worked outside of the home in the public sphere. So where the world would tell us that women are weak, the Bible is clear that women are far more than capable and reveal their strength by doing something far greater and more meaningful than what we would narrowly define as physical strength, but showing strength by their godly character and doing what God designed for them to do. Another truth about women that comes from our key text is that real women influence others through godly wisdom. Real women influence others through godly wisdom. Verse 26 says, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Women are able to teach and instruct. 
Because again, look at the examples we just gave. Deborah was a judge of Israel. Esther was queen. There was a woman who was basically the contractor leading others in the building of these towns. And I would say as Christians, we have somehow taught ourselves that women aren't supposed to be influencers like men. That attitude can creep in. And I wonder if part of the problem is that we come across certain passages of Scripture that would lead us to think that way. For example, there's a passage in the New Testament that says women should be silent in the church. Well, that is obviously ordained by God, so how do we make sense of that in juxtaposition to all these women who are in positions of leadership? See, the thing is, when we come across passages like that, I think we do two things wrong. First, we focus, if we want to, we focus on certain passages and take them at face value, maybe because they support preconceived notions or our idea of what we think things should be like. And then second, we do ourselves a disservice because we ignore the rest of Scripture and we don't realize that it doesn't fit in with the way that we're thinking. Because if all of Scripture is gobbery, that all of it is inspired, then all of it must make sense somehow. So how do we make sense of a passage like this that says women should be silent in the church? See, Paul was talking and specifically writing this letter to a church where this was a situation that was taking place. Uh, Pastor Joe, when he was with us on staff, was enlightening us to Hebraic culture. And in that day, when people came to worship at the synagogue, in the synagogue, men and women would gather together, together, not just the men, but men and women, and they would talk. All of them would discuss Scripture, and they would all ask questions. So apparently in this particular church, it had gotten to such an issue. It was a good problem. Everyone had questions. Everyone wanted to learn. But for the sake of, uh, of an orderly service, Paul had said, for this particular uh, community, the, the women should be silent and will leave, and not for the sake that they shouldn't ask questions, but that they should leave, take it with them home, and that they should still ask the questions there. So we understand now in context why Paul would say this and how it still works in the sense of the greater picture that is being painted throughout Scripture. And so when we look at what Paul was doing here, we realize that he was not speaking contrary to what God had ordained in the past, but was trying to deal with a particular situation in a particular town. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, at the beginning says, the wisest of women builds up her home. I firmly believe, and I've said this before, all women are influencers, whether it's in the home with her family or in the workplace with her coworkers or in the church with the church family. We have female pastors on staff. Rachel, who is leading on guitar, shared a word from her heart, speaking to all of us, words of encouragement and challenge. The spaces God has placed you as women are in your home, and you have a responsibility to lead and to influence those whom God has given under your care. What you say and how you lead will have an incredible impact on the places and the people that God has put in your life. And you can be an influencer. And I think no, no, easier, uh, no easily than, uh, or no more, uh, more easily than with my mom. When I was growing up, I saw what an incredible influence my mom was for myself and for all of us four children. My dad was the pastor of a church for many years, and she served faithfully alongside him, showing a great example of what uh, a team of, of ministers can look like. And in the home, she set the example of what it meant to make God a priority in her life. 
Because every morning I knew that my mom and my dad would sit together in bed before they got up and they would pray together. And then every evening it was a non-negotiable that we as a family got together for family prayer. And even though we had just prayed then, as we kids went off to bed, my parents would remain and then they would pray even more. On Saturdays, with my mom being a full-time working mom, Saturdays were her Sabbath. And from the time she woke up to about noon, she said, don't disturb me with anything because it was important to her to make time for God. And that was her dedicated time with God, reading, meditating on God's word and praying. And she set a positive influence based on the example that she lived out in her life. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So women, not only are you influencers in what you do, but you are influencers in what you say as well. So think about it. As an influencer, what are you saying to those around you? And what are you saying about those who are around you? See, our words, men or women alike, speak life and our words speak death. And this goes for everyone. And sometimes we feel compelled to push others down because somehow that makes us feel better. And we feel better when we make others feel less than us. But we need to be encouragers. We need to influence in a positive way. We need to give life to those around us. Because even the Bible says, if this helps, if the Bible says we should esteem others better than ourselves. We shouldn't be putting others down because we think ourselves greater than them. No, think of yourself less than them and speak in a manner and accordingly. And so we've talked about how real women reveal their strength through godly character and influence others through godly wisdom. This passage in Proverbs also shows us that real women convey true beauty through godly faith. Real women convey true beauty through godly faith. The world has unfortunately led us to believe that a woman's beauty is based solely on her outward appearance. The world would have you believe that her beauty is defined by her physique, uh, a blemish-free face, and a perfectly styled hairdo. But the Bible makes it clear that more important than these things is a beautiful faith. Verse 30 says, Charm can mislead and beauty soon fades, The woman to be admired and praised is a woman who lives in the fear of God. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Let your beauty not be external, the braiding of hair and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, but the inner person of the heart, the lasting beauty of a gentle and tranquil spirit, which is precious in God's sight. Now, as I say these things, there is no denying that we want to look good and we want to feel good. I am the same way. If you looked at pictures over time, you would notice that I have had five different hairdos over my life. If I didn't care about how I looked, I'd have just gone whatever, but no, I care about it. I give it some thought. Uh, Right now, I'm rocking the millennial, you know, half asymmetrical look of this part being buzzed and this one really poofy. We're trying it out. We'll see how it works. Uh, If the cameraman wants to zoom in, you can see I did my eyebrows. So I like to look good. I know the gel that works best for my type of hair so I can style it the way that I want. I want to look good. It's it's fine. And for men, women, it's fine to look good. No problem with that. 
you are honoring the way that God has, has created you, and that's good. But what I've realized is that the way we approach our outer beauty comes from one of two places. And I feel like maybe we've all struggled with it at some point, or maybe some of us still struggle with it today. That sometimes what we want to do is compliment what we believe, God, you did a great job. Thank you for that. But others of us struggle because we feel like we're covering up mistakes that God has made. And so we work hard at working on our bodies. We work hard at taking care of our hair and our face and, and our makeup and the clothes that we wear. And we do all these things because somewhere deep down, we aren't satisfied with who God created us to be. And we see that being played out in our world today. Because look at all these reality TV shows about cosmetic surgery and you know, beauty pageants and all these different things. Because the message the world is telling us is that your self-worth is found in how you look on the outside. And look at the damage that that has wreaked on our culture and our society. And think about what it even does to the way that you use your resources you know, I was doing some research preparing for this, and I was blown away by this one particular stat. So in 2017, they were looking at what the average woman spends on makeup. And in her lifetime, she will spend about $15,000 on makeup alone. So we're not talking fashion, we're not talking hair or anything like that. Spends about that much money on average. And it also, uh, you know, have you ever wondered, though, why men's and women's fashion uh, prices are different. This is another thing. I read an article recently that there is something that has been termed now the pink tax. And what it means is that the exact same product for men and for women, you know, just a razor, just a, an example is, is a shaving razor. You know, probably the handle is a different color, but exactly the same product will be more expensive for a woman than for a man. Why is it? Because the world has sold us a bill of goods saying that women, you need to look good. And if we can sell you on that idea, you will spend whatever it takes to do it. And so they, reek, uh, they reap the money from us because we've fallen into that false sense of identity. And so you may be charming, you may have a great personality, or you are absolutely stunning without any makeup, and you have a great fashion sense, and that's really good. But those things don't last, and they don't provide any significance to your spiritual beauty. An example for me for, uh, was you know, being self-conscious. When I was in high school, I never wore shorts outside because I, I have a skinny build, even though I may not look it right now because I put on some weight over that time, but I have skinny legs, and I was so self-conscious about wearing shorts that I never wore shorts, even in the heat of summer. And so I would sweat, I was super uncomfortable, but I had somehow bought into the idea that as a man, I should have you know, big, beefy calves, big muscle, and I wasn't happening to me, no matter how hard I tried. And so I was ashamed of the way that I looked and would hide it. And it wasn't until, you know, even just a few years ago that when I would go swimming, I would always wear a shirt on top because I was not pleased with the way that my upper body looked. And these are things that the world has taught us, has said, you need to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, your face needs to look a certain way. For men and women alike, we've fallen, in, we've fallen prey to what the world is dictating is true beauty. 
But the Bible is trying to tell us that your beauty, your self-worth, what really matters is your spiritual identity. You see, there's nothing wrong with wanting to enrich the beauty that you have. But as I said before, if what you're doing is because deep down you think you're trying to cover up the mistakes that God made, then there is something that's wrong. This perception of yourself reminded me before I got married that I come to the realization, for me, for example, that I, it may be hard for me to get married. Uh, in the sphere of me wanting to be in full-time ministry, in the Indian community, uh, it's, it's a weird reaction that happens throughout the community. Parents in general, are super excited for you. They're glad, they're very thankful that, you know, other, other kids' parents, are, that's amazing. God bless you, Josh. You want to go into ministry? That's great. But when it came to their kids, no, you're not doing ministry. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be an engineer. And all of a sudden, and not only that, you're not going to marry someone who's going to be in ministry because that life is not good. There's no good money in it. It's difficult, long hours. It takes a toll. And so I came to the realization at one point that I may never get married. And I didn't know if it was God's will, but there was a point where I realized this may be difficult because people were consumed with a particular identity crisis. And they didn't want to see something like me being involved in ministry. But thank God for Ruby, my wife, because she saw my ministry calling as something that was beautiful. What was happening on the inside of me, she found attractive and wanted to be a part of that. And what does that do? It speaks to her character and her values that made her all the more beautiful to me. So what value and effort are you putting towards your spiritual legacy and your spiritual identity? When you put importance on your faith, you will transform the people around you and you become an influencer. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped the destruction of the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab's former profession was something that probably herself and definitely others would have said was ugly and unattractive. And I can't even imagine what it must have been like for her in that day and age to walk around that community, not only as a Gentile among the Israelites, but also as someone coming from that profession. But what we see in her story is that her faith redeemed her. Her faith was what she realized was of most importance. Because when she saw the God of Israel doing what he was doing, she said, I want to be that with that God. I want to believe in that God. I want to be a child of God. And so she changed her life. She realized that more more than whatever, you know, whatever else people might say about who I am on the outside, on the inside, I know what's most important. I will be a child of God. And because of her faithfulness, because of her willingness to push past all the other distractions and say, I find my true beauty in my relationship with God, she now stands as a matriarch in the line of Jesus. And what an incredible legacy that she lives, uh, she leaves behind. So let me ask you, your reputation, what will be said of you? See, Paul, the apostle, had a huge influence on the first century church, and one relationship in particular that he had was with Timothy. Uh, We saw that this was a mentor-mentee relationship that he had. But Timothy, for as great a young leader as he was, it should not be overlooked that he would not have been there save for his grandmother and mother. 
Because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives in you. I mean, that is a legacy that I think is worth leaving behind. And that's what his grandmother and his mother did for him. So ladies, you are matriarchs to the people of God uh, that God has placed in your life. So what are you going to pass down to them? When Ruby and I were courting, I read this very passage, Proverbs 33 verse 10, uh, from verse 10 on. And I did this because at that point in our relationship, I knew intellectually, like on paper, we made sense. We were a great team. Relationally, we got along great. It was really good. But I didn't want to enter into a lifelong covenant with someone just because I found her pretty and we make sense on paper. Those don't make for great vows. But I didn't want to make a decision based solely on those things. I wanted to make sure that this was God's will. And so the Holy Spirit led me to this very passage that we studied. And as I read through verse after verse after verse, every verse confirmed, yep, Ruby, 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 Ruby. And it led me to know this was the right decision for us to make. I've never regretted it ever since. And what Ruby and I have now together nine years later with two kids is an incredible thing because of her willingness to see the beauty in my life and my, uh, my uh, willingness to see the beauty of her faith in her life. And I, like, and I love that Ruby's life is rooted in what matters most. And because of that, she is impacting the goals that God has placed in her life, like not only me and our kids, but her cousins, her extended family. I see the way that she lives so sacrificially And I admire her because she is doing what God designed for her to do. So what will be said of you? Proverbs uh, 31 verse 29 says, Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. What if that could be said of all of you? What if it could be said, yeah, there are really good people, but you stand above the rest. And then it continues in verse 31, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise. And I think it's really important, especially in this day and age where we have seen the destruction of our society where, you know, especially in the last 12 months, we have seen the Me Too movement. We've seen the Church Too movement. We've seen people in positions of uh, power in the, uh, you know, sports world, in Hollywood, even in church leadership, people who have disrespected the role and the place of women, who have not honored them the way that they are supposed to be honored. I think that healing needs to begin And I think that it is incumbent upon us as a church to take that step and say, no, whatever has happened, we will move forward and we are going to make sure that we do things right. And at any chance possible, and in this case where it says we want to honor our women, then we should do that. And so I'm going to actually invite everyone right now in this room, and if you're watching on, wherever you are, if you would stand, if you're, for all the women here, I would want to invite you to stand because this is an opportunity for us as a church family to honor you. The Bible is so clear about it. For all the things that you do that are listed there in verses 10 on through to the end of the passage, these women that you see standing before you, they are the ones that I believe exude the very vows that we're trying to talk about today. 
I know, there's some men standing up. <laughs> That's the hum, the hum you hear. It's okay, maybe, sorry if I wasn't clear. We just want all the women to stand in the room. There we go. It's okay. We stand alongside them, I get it, I know. So I want to pray this prayer of blessing and a benediction over you ladies. Father, I want to thank you so much for the women that you have placed in our lives and here represented today in this room and online and maybe listening on podcasts as well. Thank you for the legacy that they leave behind them. Thank you for the beauty that we see in their life, not only on the outside, but especially on the inside. I thank you for their strength of character. Lord God, I thank you for the influence that they have. God, I thank you for how you have uniquely designed and created each and every one of them with a purpose, for a purpose. And God, I just pray that for all of them today, that whatever it is you're doing in their lives, that you continue to be faithful in that process, that they would become all that you designed them to be. And for the rest of us men in this room, I pray that we would be the greatest cheerleaders that we can be to encourage, to support from underneath, to raise our women up so that they can accomplish and achieve all that you have wanted for them. And may we as an entire community, men and women together, be able to honor you and praise you for what you are doing in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so... With this, I leave you ladies with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. God bless you all. Thank you so much.